Mike Tomalaris, welcome to FNR. How are you? George and Joshua, it's wonderful to be with you, George. I haven't seen you for a long time, but I know you live at Port Melbourne. The spirit of <laughs> goes past your place every morning and every evening. Um, I'm fine. I'm really good. I'm uh, looking at the next chapter of my uh, career, of my life, having moved on from SBS after 34 years, and I couldn't be fitter and uh, healthier and uh well, life's, life's just beautiful right now, George. Mate, that's that's tremendous to hear. The last time you and I caught up, it was the Tour Down Under. Uh, it was Semaphore Park. And <laughs> and I was hosting, uh, I think, a you know, New Year function there uh, with thousands of people. And the minute he's rocked up on the stage, guess what? They've gone wild. They've gone nuts. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, hang on, I'm the feature act. And Tom Alaris <laughs> is getting all the kudos. So well, he, he's, he's then proceeded to then spend the next half hour, it was a five-minute interview, next half an hour doing a thank you very much, I'm delighted to be here on behalf of SBS, look forward to the next adventure. Mate, 34 years, 34 years. Now, you, when did you join? Because I, had, well, I, I left in 88, didn't I? That's right. You left shortly after I arrived more or less uh, that's actually that's incorrect i did my first job at sbs in 1987 when i was working for uh world soccer back that's then and back then uh, george that. yeah yeah i was just basically writing scripts uh for the matches that were coming in off the satellite you know juventus from saudi Arabia, um the epl manchester united uh, chelsea what have you and from france uh uh, PSG and Rennes and uh, you know Monaco and all those sort of teams and 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 also from Spain Barcelona and Real Madrid and you know back then the Australian audiences were were quite intelligent when it came to world football but they weren't getting a lot of the material uh, outside of the English uh, first division they weren't getting a lot of their football material from other parts of the continental Europe so. Uh, I was uh, very proud to be associated with Les Murray, who took me on board as a scriptwriter back then, just writing scripts for and voicing them for for world soccer. And one thing led to another. I, I left shortly after to work in newspapers and did a bit of radio, but I came back in 1989. So we didn't really cross paths, George, because you were working Monday to Friday being a superstar <laughs> presenter of World News. I came in on Saturdays and Sundays to work on World Soccer. So uh, our paths didn't really cross until later on. But you did catch up with a friend of mine, a young guy called Tim Jardine, who uh, started very similarly uh, uh, a journey very similar to yours. Um, I brought him in just to to watch some of the um, games we were covering in those days, single camera coverages, uh, which was awkward if you missed the only goal of the game, which we promptly did in the game uh, against, uh, I think it was um, uh, Prague playing um, Sydney Olympic. And the only time uh, the camera uh, stopped was to change a battery and they scored a goal during that battery change. Uh, things have changed, Mike, uh, not only in the way we disp- distribute and showcase the game, but the way television is done. You, you, you remind me of um, a, a very different time in broadcasting when we had to engineer. We, had to, we, we, had, we actually called – now, this is the best part. We used to call games off the TV screen. Uh, it was live to tape. The vision had just arrived from Argentina – 
all we had was a lineup, and we were supposed to call the the games coming out of uh, South America. Now people are doing that again, but they're doing it for different reasons. They're calling off the monitor, but they're doing it because of COVID or because they can't afford to fly there. So yep. it, it's interesting. We've almost gone back to the future. That's exactly right. I can remember it was 1993, Australia versus Argentina or Argentina versus Australia. You might remember Les Murray and Johnny Warren were on location in uh, Buenos Aires. We were 1-1 after the first leg in Sydney. It was the year of Maradona's comeback. And... uh, Les and Johnny were on the field back then hosting Andy Pascalides, who was the main commentator for SBS back then. Where was he? He was sitting in, a, in an audio booth in Sydney at SBS calling the match off a TV monitor, which was no bigger than uh, perhaps uh, your, uh, your, your desk right now. It's, yeah. It was very, very small. Um, but you're right. Things uh, were different back then and uh, they're perhaps uh, much, pretty much the same. 30 years on. Um, But TV has changed uh, in my field, George, and that is uh, covering the big events in cycling, like the Tour de France. I can remember when I first covered the Tour de France in the early 1990s, our audience numbers were so small, literally next to nobody was watching. And if there were people watching, the daily highlights programs that that were being presented to our audiences our numbers were so small, we could literally just record the daily highlights <laughs> on a VHS and post them out to the number of people that were watching back then. Now, you're being cruel, but you're very true, very much on the money. Um, and I'll, I'll scare you even more. I remember doing a highlight package for the Tour de France in 1982. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, it was one of the unique occurrences, um, the late... Um, um, uh, Laurent Fignon? No, no, no. Uh, one of the, the, the head honchos at, at SBS, uh, oh. who's no longer with us, he said to me, I hear you like to do some sport. Uh, why don't you do a coverage of this? And it, again, it was a case of the packaging and putting it to air. Yes. And, and you were there during not only the, the, the real um, beautiful uh, genesis of the Tour de France, but you and that fabulous voice, Phil, um, just... Phil Lee. Yeah, Phil Liggett, what a what a what a what an absolute gentleman, and you can t- you can you can tell us what you know of Phil, but what a star and what a team you guys put together, and what a magnificent um, uh, discovery that you offered a, a brand new audience that was coming to terms with a Europe and and an event that they'd never quite you know got their head around, mm. and then the coverage just exploded and just got better. And better, and they were pushing the envelope. You know, we thought the, the Channel Nine team doing the cricket was the most innovative uh, crew, on, and they were putting cameras in stumps. Well, you can tell us a few stories about where they didn't put a camera. They put cameras in everything: uh, motorcycles, motorcycle helmets. Um, you saw a magnificent evolution that gave us a, a, a way to view a world-class event, the Tour de France in a manner that no one imagined was possible. George, there are three people in the world of uh, broadcasting that are my mentors. You're one of them, and I say that genuinely because I've uh, become a newsreader in my time as well as being a sports uh, journalist and presenter, and you're the man who gave me inspiration. The other two, Martin Tyler as a 
football commentator, and you're right, Phil Liggett. Uh, when it comes to uh, golden tonsils, he's up there with the best. He's command of the English language and his description of sport, not just cycling, but he also does uh, the Olympics, summer and winter, is second to none. You're right, George. I was there from the start back in 1991 when SBS first had the rights to the Tour de France. And that was a time when I was covering football. I was an NSL commentator back in the 90s. I did commentate soccer <laughs> back then, just like you did, yeah. because uh, we had to be multi-skilled at a very early part of our careers. But um, back then, I was basically logging each of the daily highlights programs of the Tour de France that were coming in, and they were presented to SBS virtually next to nothing. They were given to us by the French organisers on a platter. We've got this event. It's called the Tour de France. It's not a game of football. It's not over 90 minutes. It runs for three weeks. <laughs> three weeks? Yes, but you can have half hour a half-hour program each and every night. So SBS took it on. It was content. It was valuable content. And even though very few people were watching, it evolved. It snowballed to what it is today. Back then, a lot of Australians would not have known what the Tour de France was. And even if you don't follow cycling, but even, and even if you don't have... Um, a, a, a small interest in world sport. When you mention the Tour de France, you know it's a bike race. And if you don't realise it's a bike race, you know that it's something spectacular when it comes to television coverage and broadcasting. People watch it for many different reasons, George and Josh. Uh, they watch it for the sport and the pushing of pedals first and foremost. But there is the scenery, there is the architecture, there is the history. And with Gabriel Gatte, there is the cuisine that uh, we uh, implemented as well. So it has many different layers. It's not just a sporting event. It is so much more. And you're absolutely right. And there's another layer that you haven't touched on, and that's the grand drama of the actual race. And in your time, we've had some Australians who could actually compete. And indeed, we had a winner, did we not? I remember George, when uh, I first started, it was Phil Anderson, and we, we thought he was the greatest Australian cyclist on the planet. And uh, you found out that there were a few, quite a few more and we've got some even more exciting talent because of what you guys have done in those early years. Uh, we've, we've, we've uh, I suppose, sparked an interest in the next crop. I, th I think I live in Melbourne, right? And I watch uh, the cyclists in all their gear. They may as well be cycling in the Tour de France and, and they do it every day, mate. <laughs> they don't wait for that three weeks. They cycle every day and you see peloton after peloton. We have the hell ride down here in, in, uh, in security. In Port Mel and that's a dangerous event. Do not get in the way <laughs> of that peloton, especially if there's a red light. Oh, dear. But tell me, um, uh, what indeed uh, got into your um, um, uh, mind when you were told listen, uh, we're going to want you to go overseas and do a bit more than you're doing it from, from Sydney. What was that like when you actually landed in France with Phil and the others and you actually could tell a different story? You could wander on, that, on those, how many, how many kilometres? 3,000 kilometres? Three and a half thousand. Wow. Well, look, George, George uh, Josh, I'm not exactly sure how old you are, but uh, back in the 1990s, as I said before, I Here's did comment on soccer <laughs> I commentated on Socceroos matches and NSL games probably up to 300 before the likes of uh, uh, Michael Cockerell, um, Simon Hill, etc. I was doing a lot of NSL matches uh, with Andy Pascalides on SBS. And as a result, I was fortunate enough to go to the World Cup as a reporter 
in the United States in 1994, which I believe to this day is still it still holds the record as the most uh, a World Cup with the most spectators in the history of the World Cup. Why? And even though you might think, well, the United States is not a, a soccer football nation. It is a nation of basketball, gridiron and baseball. But uh, they had stadiums that uh, were filled by by first and second generation um, uh, Americans who were of, of South American, Central American and yep. European background. So those stadiums, which uh, had a capacity of up to 100,000, were filled uh, to capacity, all of them. And that's why it holds a record as being the most uh, most uh, um, watched uh, World Cup. I went to the World Cup in 1998 also, but it was in 1996 when I was in England covering the European Football Championships, Euro 96. I was based up north covering the games as a reporter in Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle, uh, Birmingham. And for me, I had to pinch myself. Here I am in England, uh, the mecca of world football, as it was for Australians, Mm. having watched uh, the coverage uh, back home. Uh, It was just an achievement for me just to be at at, at Anfield uh, or or, or Old Trafford uh, watching the greats of European football. Not bad for a scriptwriter. Exactly right. But as the games were petering out and uh, we got to the quarterfinals and semifinals, the boss at the time, uh, Dominic Delardi said, look, uh, there's a, an event that we are covering and we have covered over the last five years, as you know. It's called the Tour de France. It starts in the Netherlands in a town called Den Bosch, which is not too far from Eindhoven. Um, and I was having a ball in England, but the boss said, we want you to go over there. Uh, for the first time, we want you to top and tail the highlights program. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'm having a ball here. Football is in my blood. I'm in England covering the Euros. Do you really want me to do that? And he said, yes, I do. We've got three Australians starting. Um, We want to move away from the British coverage that we've taken over the last five years. We want you to Australianise it. I was reluctant, but having crossed the English Channel to the Netherlands, where the tour started that year in the Grand Depart, it was a career-changing moment. And it was the first of 26 tours that I had covered. And uh, I've got to say, uh, not only did it change my career as a journalist, as a broadcaster, but it also changed my career as somebody who uh, changed sports. I played soccer up until the age of 42. and I've been riding a bike for the last 18 to 19 years as a result of covering the world's biggest annual sporting event, the Tour de France. Well, it probably explains why you're so fit, you bugger. Um, it, it's been some journey. It really has. And I just wonder, what's next, Mike Tomolaris? Well, look, I still have an interest in, in football. I still have an interest in broadcast media. Um, I'm away from SBS these days. But, it's, you know, it's funny, George. Um, I didn't realise how much of a difference SBS had made, not only to uh, football, uh, through the likes of Les Murray, Johnny Warren, Andy Pascalides, yourself, uh, Craig Foster, of course, Lucy yep. Zelle. Um, We really have made an impact. But I guess uh, through the network and myself, uh, I've persisted in building the portfolio of cycling. What's next? Uh, I didn't realise there was so much love for SBS. We've been doing something right. There are so many people, as you say, uh, playing football and riding bicycles. And you might think, well, they're two different uh, recreations. They're two different sports. They are. But they are, they do hold parallels because yeah. they have been developed 
um, in terms of broadcasting from the one network, SBS. That's true. And in, in my experience and my travels, there are people who uh, perhaps uh, become middle-aged. They, they might have been playing soccer and football in their early years, but they now ride bikes because there's no real impact. They don't hobble into work on a Monday morning after being <laughs> to death by an opposing player. They ride their bicycles. And unless they crash, there's no impact on the body. And uh, they feel like supermen. They feel like superwomen when they when they turn up at work on a Monday morning. So what's next for me? Well, I can tell you that I've been uh, inundated by um, invitations to, to go to France, Italy and Spain as a host of uh, tour operators uh, for cycling, uh, cycling tours. And I couldn't think of anything better. I mean, I eat the best foods, drink the best wines, uh, climb the climb the highest hills and host the most beautiful people, people of my my age uh, who have got the same interests. We love our football. We love our cycling. We love our food. We love our wine. Hey, life couldn't be much better. So that's that's what I hope to do over the next couple of years. If you're going to be a tour host, uh, then I couldn't think of a better person. You, you've you've made all the mistakes over the years. You know where all the hot spots are. You also know where the trouble spots are. So you should be able to cruise it, my friend. Three and a, three and a half thousand kilometres, no problem. Are we going to see you down under, though, with the down under racing, uh, the cycling that goes on in this country? Yeah, look, very few people know that Wollongong in New South Wales uh, will host the World Cup of Cycling in September of next year, and that is the Road Cycling World Championships. The likes of um, Peter Sagan and uh, all the riders that you see at the Tour de France, Julian Alaphilippe, and uh, all the big names of the Tour de France will be coming to Wollongong, but they'll be representing their nations, not necessarily, well, they won't be representing their trade teams, they'll be representing their countries. So Wollongong, just uh, one hour south of Sydney, it's a beautiful city, George, as you know, uh, beach beaches on one side, the Pacific Ocean, Tasman Sea on one side, and on the other side, you've got hinterland and an escarpment. The viewing pictures will be magnificent. Um, the Tour Down Under won't take place in 2022 in South Australia uh, because of COVID. Uh, the riders didn't want to uh, isolate for 14 days, so that'll be held back until 2023. And if you haven't been to the Tour Down Under, well, go. If you can't afford to go to the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia yeah. or the Vuelta yeah. Espana, the Tour Down Under, as you know, George, is just like being in Europe, but you're in Australia in January. And it's free if you if you rock up and just follow the riders. And the atmosphere is the most wonderful thing. You, you the, the peloton arrives and, and you can... It, there's a huge buzz. It's uh, it's a it's an amazing thing if you haven't done it. Tell me something else that uh, that intrigues me. Uh, you've talked about how SBS has changed uh, our culture in so many ways: uh, cycling, football, yeah, mm. and also the arrival of coffee in this new form. Uh, it can be drunk in many different flavours now and, and in many different fashions. Uh, you were instrumental in, in, in spreading the uh, – yeah, well, well, if it wasn't Les, if it wasn't John, uh, it had to be Mike Tomolaris. I don't know what you mean. I mean, the only uh, <laughs> coffee that I drink are uh, the, uh, the good ones from the finest cafes around yeah. Sydney. Melbourne. Um, I've got an espresso machine uh, here at home. I don't think that really counts. Um, look, you know what? Les Murray, God bless him, wherever he is, but I'm sure he's up there. Um, he loved his espresso coffee. He loved uh, uh, smoking and sucking on a durry. Um, and singing. And, he loved, uh, and singing. He loved, <laughs> and singing, yeah. 
Do you know, uh, I'll tell you something about Les. You might know this, George, but back in the late 60s and early 70s, when he was a singer, the name of his band, and uh, he was very well educated when it came to the music scene and the history of popular music, the name of his band, and he did the he did the uh, the gigs in, in a lot of clubs and, and pubs in New South Wales. The name of his band was The Rubber Band. <laughs> did you know I, that? I, I do. I'll tell you why, because I remember seeing him at the Hakoa Club when Frank Lowy was the uh, president of the club. So it goes mm. way back, way, way yeah. back. Can I uh, yeah. voice a, or make a suggestion to you both? Yeah. I, I, I've been long thinking about the name change for the FFA Cup. And what are we going to call it? And the Australia Cup obviously is is logical. Yep. Uh, but wouldn't it be nice if we could pay tribute to the great man and name it in his honour and call it the Les Murray Cup? It works for me. It works for me too. Um, I like FFA because it's got that FA yeah. Football Association right. from England. And look, we shouldn't really tie ourselves to the UK anymore. We can stand up for ourselves, can't we? Look, Absolutely. Les Murray, is there a Johnny Warren Cup? There was a Johnny Warren Cup, yeah. wasn't there, once upon a time? I think there's a Johnny Warren medal. There's a Johnny Warren medal, yeah. Play oh, season, yes, right? okay. Yeah. What about a George Denekian Cup? No, no, no. It's 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 too it's too truncated. It's too long, buddy. Uh, <laughs> that must be the FNR five aside. Can you imagine the, the five aside? Yeah, actually. Uh, by the way, um, we took a we took a, an oath uh, or or a, or a um, uh, I made a, a proposal at the beginning of our program today. You might have missed it. Uh, with Antonio Conte coming to Spurs and me being a huge Spurs man, I thought we might start disciplining our team here at FNR. And making sure there's no fizzy drinks, uh, no ketchup, uh, <laughs> no sandwiches, um, and um, and somehow the boys uh, look like they, they they don't like that proposal, and they they're happy to remain as unfit as possible. Do you think Mike will be a more receptive audience? To yeah, this kind of thing, the I, I paragon think, of physical fitness. Well, I can see that. I, there's no way he's doing fizzy drinks. I, I'm sure you don't <laughs> no. do ketchup. And no, I don't. I, I drink kombucha and uh, the finest the finest rosés from uh, the Loire Valley as a result of my 26 tours. Hey, can I just tell you something? Go. When I was a kid, I grew up uh, admiring watching uh, the match of the day on the ABC television before SBS started. Uh, and we used to get the one-hour programs from the UK a week later. Uh, that's how uh, primitive okay. Yeah. Television was back then. Uh, back then, I used to support Manchester United because I wanted to be like George Best. <laughs> and, and honestly, I was a striker, and I played up until the age of 42. But back when I was a toddler and a, a teenager, I had a lethal left foot, George. You might find that hard to believe. But look, as uh, Manchester United became a little bit um, – I couldn't relate to them anymore with their multi-million dollar budgets and their their multi-million dollar players. I sort of lost interest with Manchester United. I know it's not the done thing to do. But my team these days, and I'll tell you why, is Brentford. Brentford FC. And I'll tell you why. When I started uh, travelling to France uh, covering a bike race, uh, en route, we used to stop at Heathrow Airport uh, before we changed planes and made our way to to, uh, France. But you might know that uh, Brentford is very close to Heathrow Airport. And as the plane, if you had a window seat, which I did regularly, uh, as the plane would make its way onto the runway, uh, if you had a window seat and looked out, you would see Brentford's home home ground. It's that close to Heathrow Airport. And it's so close, you could literally just reach out. It felt like you were reaching out and almost touching the top of the grandstand. And on top of that grandstand were the words Brentford FC. So I didn't become a fan, but I had a mild interest on how they were progressing. Now, for this club, 
to be in the, the third or fourth tier of competition only a handful of years ago and to make it to the EPL. And they started on fire, didn't they? They beat Arsenal. They drew with Liverpool. Um, and I think they also drew with Chelsea, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. They've had a bad run in the last four weeks, but I'm sure they will come good as a result of their Dutch coach. But that's my team now, Brentford FC. I've been in love with them for the last uh, 10 years, had a mild interest, but since they were promoted to the EPL uh, at the beginning of this season, well, my passion for this team has grown an arm and a leg. There you go, the bees. The bees. The bees. bees. They've been around for a long, long time too, since the late 1890s, but... Who would have thought the Bees would make it to the EPL? They've got a new home ground now, and I'm hoping they stay up uh, next season at least. Norwich will probably go down. Don't uh, say who that. Else? Who else? Oh. Well, don't say that. Why not? Well, because we want to give uh, Dean Smith a chance to win a couple of games. He's 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 left Aston Villa <laughs> in a hurry, and and it's amazing though. He's he's been out of work for a week, and he's got a new job. Still okay, in the EPL. Well. <laughs> Well, they wear green and gold, don't they? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Dean Smith uh, <laughs> coming through with almost as many job offers as uh, as you after you left SBS, Mike. But, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, on, on the subject of Brentford, um, interesting fact about them, owned by a professional gambler from Denmark, and he also owns uh, FC Micheland, whereas uh, where A1 Mobile plays. So okay, he's yes. building that sort of potso of... Uh, you know, city group uh, style network of teams. So maybe one day we'll see an Australian playing for uh, for Brentford if Mabil keeps progressing the way he has. Okay, well that makes sense. And there's a lot of Danish players in Brentford, but yeah, uh, yeah let's hope an Aussie plays very soon, uh, or at least an ambassador. Uh, Mike Tomalaris, it's been a joy to catch up with you, my friend. Um, I was absolutely shocked when you when you finished at SBS, but I uh, I believe and I have great faith that this world is um, is full of opportunity, especially for good people and people who have served a tremendous apprenticeship uh, and also helped to deliver some of the grand sports uh, in a fashion that no one thought was possible 20, 30 years ago. Uh, watching the Tour de France now is a global event and it's watched by millions, if not more. Thank you, George. Yeah. Thank you. I'm humbled by those words. And again, I genuinely speak with with my heart when I say you are one of my mentors. And look, you've been through the hard times as well. You left SBS to go to another network. You've been to a, a variety of networks. Uh, things happen, uh, you move on, and you have to reinvent yourself. And yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's great to know that, there, that there's a lot of love out there for, from people. I mean, I was in a, in a dark place immediately after I left. I've come through that. I'm in a good place now. And I think I've been buoyed by the love that's been out there. And I think we've made a difference, both of us. And hopefully you too will do one day, Josh. Uh, um, we changed lives. People have told me, George, if I can just be quick, people have told me I used to play soccer. I don't anymore. I started smoking. I started eating bad food. My wife didn't love me. But since I watched you and watched your coverage of the cycling on SBS, I, uh, I jumped on a bike. I started to wear Lycra. I started to shave my legs. I started to eat good food. And guess what? My wife loves me again. And it's all because of what you've done. <laughs> Mate, that, that is a fantastic way to finish this. But, and I can give you one last word. My wife will not let me wear Lycra in a million years. She goes, no way, Jose. <laughs> Look after yourself. Catch up soon. Once again, Mike Tomolaris joining us on Thanks, FNR you, to, uh, to reminisce and talk about just how much that not only the game, but how television has changed in the last 30, 40 years. Thank you, Mike. All the very best. Thanks, boys.